common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager. I am talking to you on December 21st of 2023. I'm not sure when this episode will air exactly because Christmas kind of is an issue to deal with in terms of when people will want to listen to things. Uh, So you might be hearing this in 2023. You might be hearing it in the beginning of 2024, but I did want to take this opportunity to go ahead and record an interview with Kristen Olson, who produces the rational in Portland podcast, which has for the last few years been kind of documented the decline of Portland has been front and center in kind of identifying what's going wrong there and then identifying people who can actually make a, make a difference in making it happen. Uh, Kristen's a Democrat, but you know, I think you'll find possibly to an annoying degree. She and I agree on the policy uh, issues that are driving what's wrong in Portland and the degree to which there's hope there's hope for Portland because the politics have changed there a little bit. Now there's a lot of damage to undo and it's going to take a long, long time to get there. But there is some good news out of that place, uh, believe it or not. And the state has to change the way it does things to help Portland and the rest of the state. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'll be back with you briefly after it's done. Okay. And now I'd like to welcome to the Oregon Roundup podcast, Kristen Olson of the Rational in Portland podcast. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for coming and making time out of your busy day. You're a lawyer, right? Just like you. Yeah. Except you're, I can see you, the The listeners won't be able to see, uh, see this. You're dressed like a lawyer. I'm dressed like a not lawyer. So that's, well, <laughs> I, you know, I have a practice, I have a business litigation practice and I also have a personal injury practice. And in general, I think even though it's sort of treacherous for my personal injury clients who are actually injured to come downtown, I usually like to go meet them. And I think, I just think it's helpful to connect with people in person. I think it's harder and harder to do. Generally, I'm, I'm one of the few people in Portland who still shows up downtown with a, with a suit on. So here I am. Welcome with your, with your suit. <laughs> I, uh, I don't, I do transactional work uh, anymore. So oh, happy law. Yes. I, I don't go to, I love happy law. I no longer go to court. So I, uh, I, I don't even know the last time I wore a suit. So um, jealous, lucky, lucky me, but I'm glad that there are folks out there doing the, uh, the real work like you are. So with your background as a lawyer, how did you get into talking about what was going on? I'm going to say politically, but that's generally speaking, you're talking about Portland, you you know, tell us a little bit about your, your podcast and how you got into kind of what I would say is documenting what I would call the decline of Portland. And you've been at it for a while and we're one of the first to do it really effectively. Oh, well, thanks, Jeff. I'm hoping that I'm also documenting it's recovery. Yeah. I think that I am. Um, I'll, I'll begin with, with addressing your initial question, which is I, it was COVID. I had a bunch of podcasting equipment that I was in my office that I was sort of thinking about using for something legal related. My children were home. Um, I knew based on conversations that I had had and things that I had read from various people throughout the country that 
our schools were closed much, much, much longer than anywhere else in the United States. And since about, I mean, I'm a multiple, multiple generation native. I don't know exactly how many generations it goes back. I'd have to spend some more time on ancestry, but native to Portland, native to Oregon for multiple generations. And I had never experienced anything like 2020. I think that's true about a lot of people, but I had never experienced anything like that in, in Oregon, in Portland, really ever in my life. And by like that, what I mean is a interesting confluence of events of, um, the city being set fire for 180 plus nights, violent riots, massive amounts of property destruction, a police force that seemed largely neutered, a lack of leadership in in regard to the mayor, in regard to the governor, frankly, in regard to the president, although we sent in the National Guard, it was Trump. So everything was turned up to 11. Eventually that did end, but that was ongoing for so long. We had one of the, if not the longest riot periods in the country, and George Floyd was not even killed here. I think a lot of Portlanders felt very angry and had a narrative about police are harder on black people. We haven't been able to really get to the bottom of that problem. Joanne Hardesty was on city council in Portland. Her idea was defund the police. She was successful in doing that. And I think she was emboldened by the riots. And for whatever reason, I think the city sort of handed her the wheel. Certainly Mayor Wheeler did, it felt like. Um, and allowed her to drive policy to that extent. And she did. And the police were, in fact, defunded. Now, a lot of people argue they've been refunded. But as Aaron Schmaltz, who's the head of the police union, will tell you, many, many of those programs are gone forever. One of them is school resource officers. What do we have currently? We have children being gunned down in front of their high schools by their peers. We have massive amounts of violence in our schools, depression, overdoses. And what Portland police will tell you is that they were system partners with schools in trying to understand things like families of these children. Where does mom live? Where does dad live? Who are the brothers and sisters? And keeping them out of the criminal justice system, keeping children out of the criminal justice system. So this was not, it it was, I think school resource officers in Portland, there's this narrative that they're there to arrest kids and they were winning awards because our, our own police bureau, Portland police bureau, were winning awards right before this program was eliminated because they were able to keep kids out of the criminal justice system. In fact, a lot of the time when the school or a victim or a possible victim wanted these children in the criminal justice system, the police were able to broker a way in which they stayed out. And that was through things like mentorship and just knowing the families. Those relationships are broken. We could bring officers back to Portland Public Schools. If we did that, they would have to rebuild those relationships all over again. So learning about things like police defunding, wondering if there was any data about whether black and brown communities wanted the police defunded, watching many, many police officers leave the city of Portland, taking early retirement, moving. And what I saw as a lack of science driven ability to address COVID. There was a lot of talk about mass and there was a lot of talk about closed schools. And there wasn't a lot of talk about what would actually 
work practically and what other states were doing that we were watching around the country where people weren't indiscriminately dropping dead and children were able to go to school. Now we see that that was a travesty. Now we see all these test scores rolling in and we're still 49th out of 50th in education. It's going to be really hard to crawl out of that based on what we've done to kids. And I, I, so I had these inclinations early on. I just wanted to talk to more people about it, but it was during COVID. Everybody was scared to talk. I think a lot of people, particularly in Portland, I mean, myself included, you know, I had boxes of N95 masks. I was just as scared as anybody else. A lot of people in Portland didn't want to connect in person, but they were willing to talk on the phone. And it was kind of amazing. All the people that were actually willing to talk to me, like county commissioners, Um, Sharon Myron has always been very, very open. Believe it or not, Maxine Dexter, as much as I don't love her policies in the legislature, she talks to people and she actually has really good staff that get back to people really quickly. She's not afraid of talking about issues. She and I probably disagree on almost every single one of them, but she will talk about them. I think people like that were willing to engage in conversations and And then, of course, people like Aaron Schmaltz, if you're part of the police union, you can speak in an unmuzzled way. Um, That's people in public safety unions. It's really helpful to be able to talk to them because otherwise there's a rank and file that goes on there. And you can't really talk to them about what their day to day is like. When you have public safety unions, they have some. Um, shielded protection and they can tell you what's going on with um, safety out there. Then we start learning more and more data, right? We start learning that police really aren't indiscriminately gunning down black people. We start learning that maybe masks really didn't do much for us. Maybe the beaches shouldn't have been closed. Maybe the playground shouldn't have been closed. Now the school testing is coming in. It's devastating to particularly to Oregon children because of the way the schools were closed and for how long. And it's the most devastating to the poorest and the black and brown communities. And those are the ones that we care about the most or we profess to care about the most. And that was all really concerning to me. And I had all this podcasting equipment. I had talked to a lot of these people. I asked them if they didn't mind being recorded. They said, no, we don't mind. So I pressed record and I thought maybe five people would listen to it. And then beginning of 2023, Coin named it as one of the top podcasts to listen to. We were listening. I was, we, I like. I'm saying I, <laughs> I do have a lot of unpaid and paid. I, I have a, I do have an intern. I, I do have some unpaid volunteers um, that help me with it, but it was, my podcast was listed at the top. So I thought, okay, people are listening to it. And for a while, the tagline was like everything you can't say in Portland, because I was saying a lot of really unpopular things that people didn't want to talk about. People in Portland were not ready to talk about the fallout of the school closures. They weren't ready to do that. And I was talking to people about that early on that were willing to talk about it. And actually, I think it was the majority of Portlanders who believed that that was right, who believed that the school should not have been closed for that long, but for whatever reason, they were too scared, who did not believe in the defunding of the police. And then then we watch how that all plays out because then Renee Gonzalez runs for city council, right? He runs against Joanne Harvesty, comes in here and he records a podcast and it was great. I thought he was fantastic. And I also remember thinking I was going, I was under a pseudonym then. And I remember feeling very ashamed of myself and thinking, you know what? I'm another one of these people that's too scared to have these conversations. And if I'm going to have them, I need to just have them. And I'm, I need to have them as myself. And I don't work. I work for myself. I don't work for a place that's, that's going to fire me or going to, um, If I alienate clients, I guess so be it. That hasn't happened, fortunately, 
if anything, I get calls because people know who I am. So that's very fortunate. And I I get a lot of referrals from people within the lawyer community um, just because they hear the podcast and then they remember, oh, yeah, she does this kind of stuff and I can can refer things to her. So all the things that I thought were going to be terrible, it didn't turn out that way. And in fact, I think having these kinds of conversations and having people speak into microphones, recording it, putting it up for posterity, really, if you want to go back and listen to any of those, you, you still can. And I think that that's really important. It shows that there are a lot of people out there who are willing to, under their own name, have those conversations. And pretty soon that Overton window shifted relatively soon after Renee came on. And I also felt very ashamed. I felt like, look, there's this guy who is giving up a lucrative business um, who has three children, two of whom are about to go through college. And he's saying things. When Renee first came on, he was saying things that no one ever would have said out loud in Portland. He said things like homeless people should not be allowed to camp on the sidewalk. He was very clear about all of it. He he had been endorsed by the police union. I mean, this was not long after the city burned and we had this this police defunding and Joanne Hardesty was running this city. And I just remember thinking this is somebody who's willing to serve our city. He's a he's his dad is is was a Mexican immigrant and he was not raised with a lot of special privilege. And he's coming in under, under his own name. And I just have a stupid little podcast. So after that, it was it was me and this was my thing. And it's been great. And I do think that the Overton window has shifted. Renee was obviously elected. Julia Broome Edwards came on. She was running against a far left candidate. She's she's a left of center yep. political candidate for Multnomah County Commission. She won. We had a capital gains tax that was put forth by the Democratic Socialists of America that was defeated. I think things are changing in Portland. Mingus Maps defeated Chloe Udali. We'd have a very different city council than we did when Charlie Hales was mayor. And I really sort of chart the decline. I chart the decline of Portland to Charlie Hales um, and his safe sleep policy and the way he destroyed neighborhoods like Lentz and and frankly, most of the city of Portland at this point. Um, I don't really know how we ever roll that back. But, you know, another point, Jeff, is that what's interesting is the way the voting patterns turned out for Renee, all of this data comes out and we learn it's, it was like this hunch that I had all along, which is we learned that the minority neighborhoods in Portland, they feel over policed and they don't want to be treated badly by the police, but they want police. Yeah, they do. They voted for Renee, Mm -hmm. the most diverse neighborhoods in Portland. That was his base. It was Mm -hmm. the West side. And it was east of 205. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you explain that unless Portland has changed? And I think it's a great example of the way that the minority was driving this bus in the city for a very long time. And I think people have woken up and they're realizing that I, I think most Portlanders, contrary to popular belief and headlines that you might see in places like the New York Post and the Daily Mail, I think most Portlanders are centrists. I think they're moderates. I think they like Renee Gonzalez. I think they like Mingus Maps. I don't think they like it when white women, and I watched and heard this happen, stand up at city council and call Mingus Maps a race trader. I think they think it's disgusting. So I think Portlanders are ready for a change. And I, so I'm hoping that what the podcast is now doing is really starting to document the recovery of Portland by having people like Julia Brew Edwards on and watching her win. Yeah. 
And that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. And that was something I wanted to talk to you about is, are we still talking about the decline or have, have things turned around? I think that from my perspective over here in Bend, the the politics in Portland in terms of the people that are running the city now um, and poised to run the city in the future, hopefully, it's on the right tra- trajectory in terms of moderating some of this weirdness that's led to the problems in Portland. One of the things that I've tried to do recently with my readership and listenership is point out when that's the case, because a lot of us that don't live in Portland, we go over there and we're like, holy crap, this is a, oh, yeah. a mess. And it is and, a mess. And then you read the headlines and you see it. And I mean, it's just kind of beyond belief. A lot of it, it. is. And the headlines are not wrong, Jeff. No, like I everything know. you're saying is still right. There's still, I mean, we're still in decline. There's no doubt. But I, th- like you said, politically, I think leadership is changing. And I think People are realizing the the majority of Portlanders didn't real didn't realize what they were voting for. Had it good, people like me had it good for a long time. We didn't need to know who was on city council. Yep. We didn't care. We didn't need to know who the mayor was, and we didn't care. We didn't need to research the ballot measures. And we didn't care because things were going well. And then it felt to a lot of us like suddenly, and it wasn't sudden, but it felt very suddenly we were in the middle of Mad Max and it was the apocalypse. And I think a lot of people like me were trying to unwind some of this and figure out, well, where did, what, what role did I have in this? And mine, to be honest with you, was not good. And, you know, I voted for measure 110. Mm -hmm. Um, what role did I have in this? How do I fix it? How do I atone for that? And then how do we get people in charge who actually reflect the views of the majority of Portlanders like Renee Gonzalez, who can take charge of this city? Um, not that he's really able to do that with one vote, but they've done a fair amount. They got bought yeah. uh, police body cameras. Um, they did do the settlement with the Americans with Disabilities Act lawyer, yep. John DiLorenzo yep. and Tina yep. Chozer was the lead plaintiff in that. They, they're doing things that they would not have done when Joan Hardesty and Chloe oh, for sure. were running. For sure. I mean, you had Wheeler coming out. I wrote something, I think, in the last year where it, kind of the change of Ted Wheeler um, from his first term into where he is now. And He's I mean, your your guys at city council, the Portland City Council is considerably to the right of Ben's city council now. Interesting. Um, really? Yeah, considerably. Are you like, serious? There, oh, there, uh, there are no uh, city councilors in Bend who would talk supportively and clearly supportively in the way that Gonzalez and even Wheeler have about a public camping ban for homelessness. Yeah, and so I maps too. Yeah, maps as well. And, and, and Dan Ryan, frankly. Yep. Your council actually is pretty darn good on the issues now, from my perspective. Yeah, um, I, agree. I agree. And much better than like over here in Bend. I assume Eugene is still a god awful mess. Um, I assume that as well. Uh, but the the good news of all of this, because I think all of us in the kind of non died in the wool progressive community in Oregon were kind of since 2020 and everything just went awry in 2020. And there's a lot of reasons going back a long ways why that happened. But a lot of it was, and I think you just talked about this, that it's like, hold on guys, this is going on. And this is probably why it's going on. 
and then being called all manner of racist and whatever xenophobic and God forbid Republican that right. people get called when they say things like that. But now it, it turns out the voters are like, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. And we're, we're trying to change it. And the voters are changing it in Portland, which is a great sign because for me, the real, the real test coming out of 2020 was will Portland voters recognize the mistakes that have been made? Agreed. And I think polling shows they have. And, Agreed. you know, you've, you've talked about your own story and how people have kind of started thinking about things differently over in Portland. So I'm, I'm actually encouraged by what's happened in Portland from a political standpoint recently. Now there's decades of a mess to turn around. Um, oh, and I don't know the will unwind it, Jeff. Correct, I don't correct. know that. It could just be me and the cockroaches and the fentanyl addicts in the <laughs> end. I don't, I don't all atone for 110 until that happens. Um, I'm just, I have a business and children and I'm, I'm here for the long haul. And so I want to see it come back, but I don't know. I mean, I can't, I don't know. I mean, you're a lawyer. I don't know that you give odds to people doing your transactional happy law. I, I try not to. <laughs> right. But see, I do. And so yeah. and usually I'm very conservative. And so if I were, and I, I, I'm not even going to be conservative. If I, if I were going to tell you, Oh, do you, if you, somebody said, do you think Portland's going to turn around? I think I'd give you like 40% odds yeah. within the for decades. And, yep. and here's why, because, because there has been so much damage done in that little period of time where the bus was being driven by the, by what I consider to be the ideological minority in yes. Portland. Yes. Uh, and they did, I mean, they were very effective and I, I will hand it to them. They, they were like, they were like the new Gingrich's. I swear to God, they, they really dis. it was a shellacking, you know, they dismantled this city. Yep. They did a great job of it. And we're going to be feeling the effects of that for a long, long time. We're still dealing with it right now. We've got the Police Accountability Commission that Joanne Hardesty created. We've got Portland Street Response, which Joanne Hardesty created, which is a constant source of conflict. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. Nobody understands what they're doing. We've got m billions of dollars being poured into homeless services going absolutely nowhere. We've now got the Drug Policy Alliance's claw here via 110, and they've got their own something called like the health justice recovery Alliance or something like that. That's stationed here. If you yeah. go to their website, literally in order to keep 110 in place, yeah. I mean, dismantling all this will take a lot more than say Renee Gonzalez's mayor. That's a fact. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. It, it's going to take a, a long, it took a long time to ruin Portland. Uh, and I would argue ruin Oregon. I would and argue that gonna, too. It's going to take a long the time. Only anchor. Yeah, and it is, it is, is a statewide it is. ballot measure. Yeah, it, it it is. And the you know, the state definitely has a role in ruining Portland. The yes, state it does. has a role in, in ruining the rest of the state in less obvious ways. Uh, but, you know, we've got, I mean, probably half a mile from my office here. There's a, you know, long-term homeless camp on some ODOT property right along the highway. There's, yeah, I've seen it. There's camps here in Bend. I mean, it's not, it's not the Bend it used to be. No, and, it's not. And it's, it's due to many of the same factors that have led to the Portland's decline. And it's all affecting so us here. Think? What do you think is going to happen with that? I mean, do you think 
that people, I just find it hard to believe that people in Bend are not going to wake up here and realize that the the people, like you said, on city council do not represent their interests because mm-hmm. from what I understand, the people in Bend have money yeah. and um, some sort of influence yeah. and are not interested in their children smelling fentanyl smoke as they walk down the street and right. try to invest in local right. businesses right. Or, or in their own. And so yeah. I just don't see that there's got to be some sort of wake up call at some point. I think it's, it's a confluence of things where I think our council over here is less emboldened than the Portland council has been. Um, So, (laughs) which is to say that they can be the staff sometimes keeps them kind of within the boundaries, I guess um, of, of reasonableness. And so I think what you have is they haven't, been given the leeway that say the Portland city council did. And to the degree we have a highly progressive city council here now, which we do. I I don't think there's any argument about that. That ideology has been in control here and been much for a much shorter period of time than it was in Portland. And so they, and now they've, they're seeing the blowback. So they're kind of pulling back on some of it, but I personally, I think it's more of a statewide issue and it's more of a more of a momentum issue than it is even specific policies like we're mm. we have this momentum and i i would argue that it's all around kind of like avoiding responsibility you know everything that oregon has done and portland has been the epicenter of this since 2020 is to try to shield people from the consequences of their actions and that happened with the riots in portland in 2020 and that has happened in uh, with regard to all the approach to criminality in Portland and Oregon generally. And my, Measure 110 is a huge kind of step in that direction. And Oregon has become the place where you don't pay the consequences for doing bad stuff, generally speaking. And so you get what you get when you have that reputation. And we're getting what we're getting because we have that reputation now. And it's going to take a long time to turn that ship around and it's going to take different leadership at the state level. I believe, I don't think Kotech, I don't think Kotech is dispositionally capable of doing a 180 on what she's committed her career to doing, which is to enact progressive policies in Oregon. And so, yes, it can happen. We can turn it around. I think Portland has the kind of the the foundation of building something different Oddly, Portland's moving faster in that direction than Oregon is because Oregon, you've still got the same, you know, kind of ideology reigning without significant challenge. Uh, Whereas in Portland, you've got people like Renee and Maps and even Wheeler now who are are pushing, as you put it, the Overton window back the other way, which is like, yeah, we don't like people. It's not a great thing to have people killing themselves on the streets, being homeless, using fentanyl. It's not a good idea not to police communities uh, and all that. So I think Portland's actually kind of leading the way back oddly. Um, But it's not going to, it's not going to stick if it does, it's not sustained in Portland and replicated statewide in Oregon, because we've got a huge problem in our state government right now that is multifaceted and contributes to all this stuff. Um, can you say more about the problem that you see that's multifaceted? I mean, I agree with you. I think our legislature is, uh, as a whole, far 
to the left of our state population. Yes. I think most Oregonians are centrists. I do yeah. not think our legislature is mostly comprised of centrists. Um, so what like what were, what are your thoughts about the multi-factor issue there? I, I mean, I, I think it's the I mean, the multi-factor ish stuff um, mostly comes from just the degree to which the progressive ideology has seized control in Salem. And so that has effects throughout all policy areas in the state land yeah. use, um, which is a huge kind of underlying problem with a lot of this stuff that we won't even get into here, but policing criminality measure 110, you know, Brown letting all the prison, a bunch of prisoners out. Commutations. Uh, who, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so it's like everything all at once. And I guess the only way that I can make sense of it is you, we've got to get people in place and maybe they're Republicans, maybe they're Democrats. I mean, like you said, there's a, there's tons of Democrats out there who are not died in the world progressives and believe that there need to be consequences when people do bad stuff that hurt other people. Yeah. But Jeff, I don't know anybody who wants those jobs. Do you? <laughs> I do know some people who want those jobs. Well, please um, encourage them. Yeah. Most like of the people I know. Who want knows, those, yeah. Good. Please encourage them. Uh, yeah. They're, they're mostly Republicans and that's kind of a problem uh, recently uh, statewide in Oregon, but it's gotta be a, it's gotta, it's just a change of ethos, right? It's gotta be a, like, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, people committing murder is not okay. People killing themselves on public property on public streets in Portland and Bend and everywhere else around the state that's not okay. It's not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's just a, like, do we want our society to survive issue? And and that's why it's it's just until that ideology no longer reigns in Salem, we're going to be dealing with kind of the crumbling of every institution in Oregon, every major institution in Oregon, the nonprofit community in Portland is a I mean, it's just a highly politicized mess right now. And they're calling the shots. Yeah, they're basically publicly funded entities Correct. that are shielded from FOIA requests. Correct. And without a county chair, for instance, that like Sharon Myron has talked about when she ran for chair unsuccessfully, without a county chair doing things like having a database where you can go and find out what these nonprofits are doing with your money. There is no transparency there. It's no. all going into a black hole of what is, end up being publicly funded entities that are not accountable to the people. Funding exactly. Them. It's a it's a feedback loop. The institutions that matter in Oregon are all engaged in a feedback loop with each other, where the nonprofits and the candidates and the elected officials and the bureaucrats and the media to a large yeah. degree are all talking to each other and they're all reaffirming each other, even though out on the streets of Portland and elsewhere in the state, you can see it's not working. And so it's just a matter of, I think the good news is we're to a place now where voters understand well that it's not working and it needs to change, but you still have all that institutional inertia based around this failed approach to things that just isn't working. And it's going to take a long time to get that, get that unwound. And when it happens, uh, if, and when it happens, it's, it's going to be messy. Yeah, they no, won't, they won't go easily. No, I agree. And at this point, they're so well-funded by their, by these, you know, nonprofits and all these other places, these various places, frankly, nationally, um, they're not going to go easy and they seem to want these jobs. And I can't find, I, 
in Portland, we need Democrats. Like yep. we, a Republican is not going to be electable Correct. in the legislature. So how do we find Democrats like Mingus or Renee or even Dan Ryan for Pete's yep. sake, uh, even a Ted Wheeler, I'll take it. I mean, yep. how do we find people like that to replace the Lisa Reynolds and the Maxine Dexters and the Elizabeth Steiners and the Nopes and the Floyd Przanskis? And, you know, that, that's Eugene. But how, how do we... I, I don't know anybody who wants those jobs. And like you said, those people are so entrenched. I don't know what the, I don't understand. I, what I think the solution, I mean, I think Renee is honestly the best story going in Oregon politics, right? To be honest with I you. I agree. But I, how do we translate that to the legislature when people just don't want those jobs? I mean, do we, yep. does it need to be full-time? I don't, maybe it needs to be full-time, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if that changes things too much. I think it's, I think it's more, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, serving in the legislature is a thankless, awful, awful job, but people will do it. Good people will do it if they think they can make a difference. The problem is that those of us who don't agree with the direction of the state recently, many think it's hopeless. You know, they, they get, they'll get over to Salem and just get beat about the head by the folks who want to keep things doing things the way we are. I think that the more Renee stories we have around the state, of someone who's not weird, running, winning, making an actual change once they get the job that that can bring other not weird people into the process. And the problem is right now, we normally, most of our, the people involved in politics, and I'll say this on the right and the left are weird and we need yes, fewer weird right. people in politics. Yeah, no, our legislature, most of our legislature is not comprised. And there are many great people in our legislature yep. here in Oregon. And many of them have relationships with people who I care about and like a lot, like Kevin Barton, who's the DA of Washington County. But one thing I will say is in general, the people that tend to do the most destruction to the state look a lot like national politics. They look like yep. Lauren Boebert and Ilhan Omar. Yep. And how do we get away from that and get some more centrism in the legislature? And I'm hoping, like you said, people look around and see that people like Renee can be successful in Portland. So maybe they can go to the legislature. And I think people, um, if you're interested at all in Oregon politics, if you're interested in changing the legislature, you should listen to some of these public hearings. I do think the public hearings about 110, Jeff, were really important. Mm -hmm. I think the legislators were blown away by the amount of people who testified against measure 110. And I think these are, I think a lot of those legislators are out of touch people. Yeah. And that's clear because the majority of Oregonians don't agree with a lot mm -hmm. of this stuff that they're mm -hmm. passing. And I think they finally heard from the majority of Oregonians. And the issue is, I think you can do some of it online. I don't think that's as persuasive. Yep. I think you need to drive down there. And for working people, I mean, I know because I try to do some of this myself through the podcast is encourage people to go yep. to county and city council meetings that I do it myself. And I'll tell you, it's not the easiest thing in the world when you have a job, especially at no. city council, because that thing goes on for hours and hours and hours. And usually what you come back to is a parking ticket with your car parked <laughs> yeah. in between two vans who have been there for five years and don't have a sticker on them. Yep. And it, that doesn't engender a lot of goodwill for, for that's funny. You mentioned that one back when I, I was mayor of Bend about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And I was at a city council meeting, chairing a city council meeting, and I got a parking ticket because I was parked and I paid it because I, I I did park right. illegally. But I mean, yes. it's not like I didn't pay it. Yeah, you're right. But it's like, wow, what a slap in the face that 
I was asked to come talk about body cameras and this is how the city repays me for doing that. Um, whatever. It's a small price to pay. But what I will say is if you care enough about it, there are enough of us. If we can get enough of us in Portland who work full time and have families and have things to do to run on down to city council or run over to the DOJ and talk about the police accountability commission. And that also worked. I think that really helped people like judge Simon see that there were a Good. lot of people in Portland mm -hmm. who did not agree with this police accountability mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. that Joanne put into place and who went to the legislature and testified about measure 110. I think the legislature sort of looked around and thought, wow, we we didn't really understand where our constituents were coming from. Yeah. And if you just try to remember that these people are out in the cloud somewhere, unless you show up and speak mm -hmm. to them directly, I'm not talking about emails. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. It's not going to happen. Letters. Those are great. But really, you need to go down in person and you need to speak to these people directly. And the more people we have doing that, I think maybe you're right. And maybe Absolutely. we can change things. But good gosh, that's a haul. You know, you've yeah, got to go down is. to Salem and that's a day gone. But it is. if it you is. care about Oregon, that's I'm sorry. That's what you got to do. Or you've got to at least encourage your friends who have the ability and the flexibility to go do that if they feel the same way. Or just if people start complaining, I think a lot of us need to just challenge them and say, yeah. so what are you doing to change things? Are yeah. you? Can you come to the legislature with me? I'll drive you. I'll pick mm -hmm. up lunch. Mm -hmm. I do this all the time. Mm -hmm. hey, can, can you come to city council with me? If you come to city council with me, I'll take care of everything. I'll handle it. I'll, I'll help you script what to say. We can practice it together. Yep. Uh, we'll sit next to each other. There are ways to do this. And um, I think if we start shedding, if we, if we just start shutting down, frankly, a lot of these people who are complaining yep. about this, yep. um, because, because the same people will be elected over and over again, unless people are given another choice. We can, yep. the people on Twitter who keep screaming about vote differently, they're muted. I'm not interested in those people. They have nothing mm -hmm. interesting to say to me. Mm -hmm. the, the people who are interesting are people who have ideas, who are willing to go to places like city council and the legislature and talk to them about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great, that's a great summary of kind of where we stand. And I, you know, I know we all, everyone listening to this podcast right now appreciates all the work that you've done to kind of help turn Portland and Oregon around because as Portland goes, Oregon goes, I do believe that. What is, and I want to be sensitive to your time because as you just uh, inferred, fine, go ahead. We're, we're both, uh, we're both sacrificing re more right, remunerative activities <laughs> to, to do this. Um, what is the one thing that Oregon, so the state of Oregon could do with the one policy it could adopt or unadopt that would most help Portland? Oh, From right now, I think it's 110. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I think it's measure 110. I think, I think I, you know, I had a friend of mine, Dr. Kevin Sabet, on who's served in yep. three White House administrations doing drug policy work. And now his, his life is committed to drug policy work. And we're working together to try to get rid of 110 if we can. I think the cheapest option is to go through the legislature and see if we can reform it. And of course, that's yep. what those hearings were about that you and I were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening right now. And I will tell you that I've heard that there's been movement from people that you and I might normally not think there'd yep. be movement from. Uh, and a lot of it was through the testimony. Mm -hmm. And I think some of it was through, you know, as much as I thought this trip to Portugal that was funded largely in part by the Drug Policy Alliance, although 
people like, um, you know, Aaron Schmouts, they, they paid their own way. And I think yeah. even uh, Jessica Vega Peterson might've done the same thing and good for her for doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is the one, the one, the thing that I think came out of that is those, they were, it was people across the ideological spectrum, fortunately, but they're, I think they're all these, I really do. I believe that these are all well-intended people. I believe that. And I believe that they believe that they're all doing what they think is right. And so if you have people who are operating, I'm not talking about the drug policy people. I'm talking about the people yeah. from Oregon that mm-hmm. went, that went there from Oregon mm-hmm. specifically, not people who work for drug policy Alliance or, or anybody funded by them, I, but leadership in, in our state. And I, I think they got to, I know that the, the, I've heard, heard them talk about it, that they got together and they were able to actually have conversations about why they feel the way they feel. Where does that come from? A lot of it comes from personal stories. A lot of it comes from there may be a traumatic experience with a family member. A lot of it comes from um, a belief uh, maybe based on a philosophy that they have. But if everybody's coming at a topic from good faith, I think they can have good conversations. And apparently a lot of those good conversations were had in Portugal. And I think the more we can push the ball forward like that, and the more that we can talk to each other, the better. And that's part of why I like podcasting is because it's a way for people to tell their stories. Um, it's a way for people to talk about why they feel the way they, I mean, I do like long form stuff. So it's a way for people to talk about why they feel the way they yeah. do. Where'd you, how'd you grow up? Mm-hmm. Um, what was, what, what has been your experience with the police? What has been your experience with drugs? And once you start getting into stuff like that, I think you can really humanize each other. And there's, there is a way that we can compromise on this. And it, it's th- that, is that my ideal, you know, compromising on 110, seeing right. 110 remain? No, it's not, but I'm a practical person mm-hmm. and I'll take any improvement over what's going on right now. And the other thing I know is, as Dr. Sabet said, when he came on rational Portland is that it's going to cost an arm and a leg to get a ballot measure together yep. and um, get voters to repeal 110. And that the, we don't, we're not funded for that yet. I'll just be candid with you. We're not. So what we're funded for is what we're doing in the legislature. And I'm not, I don't know that I'm hopeful. I don't think I can say that I am, but I definitely think we're taking steps in the right direction. I think people are talking to each other. I think there are hearings where people are actually turning out, they're driving down to Salem and God bless them for doing it. And they're talking about the way addiction has impacted their family and the way that 110 has destroyed their sons, their daughters, their, their, brothers, sisters, mothers, the testimony about 110 has been moving. And I think it's difficult for legislators to listen to that and not to be affected. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think something's going to, the legislature will do something with 110. uh, We not, we may not be thrilled with it. Yeah, no, it won't be enough, right? It, it, it won't be enough. I mean, at the very least, they've set the table for a public use ban. I mean, that's clearly going to happen, I think. Just something. Um, because they're 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 re, they're in retreat right now. The you know, the DPA, HJRA and their closest allies, they see the writing on the wall because of things like the hearing, because of the polling that they're that's seeing. Right. They know that 110 is not popular, so they're going to try to retain as much of it as they can. That's get right. away with and hope that the subject changes. And well, and they're opening detoxes now in yeah. Portland. Yeah. You know, so, even though it totally goes against the measure that they yeah. created that yeah. says everything has to be harm reduction centered, yeah. Yeah. not abstinence centered. I mean, it, it, I, 
I will, I commend them for doing that. Sure. Um, it worries me. You know, I mean, the, I, if there's an idealist part of me, which is not, but you know, the one percent of me that's an idealist says, I don't like that they're moving in that direction because it means they're going to be here forever. Generally, the practical person in me has to applaud them and say, good, we need more detoxes. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, but it means what we're doing is working though. Right, Jeff. I mean, yep. it means we are listening. So no, it's it, the, the, the battlefield, if you will, of Oregon politics is has definitely shifted toward the center because the voters just know that 110 and this other stuff hasn't worked. The schools are a abject mess and um and they know it doesn't work. They don't know necessarily why. And then when you put up a Kotec against a Drazen and Donald Trump's talking right before the election. Oh, and the Dobbs decision. The Dobbs decision. I, I, mean, I, I think, think that, that was all about yeah, the Dobbs decision. I think a lot of it was. I think it was a combination of Dobbs. And I think it was Trump announcing he's running for re-election right before the election. Those things had to hurt Christine and I think contributed to Kotech winning. So part of it is on, you know, I'm a Republican. Part of it's on my party. You got to put And I think Christine was a good candidate, but I think that Part of the failing is on my side, our side of the aisle by our, I mean, me and other Republicans who haven't done a good job of presenting alternatives that are focused on Oregon issues. And Christine did try, like she obviously tried to keep everything in her campaign focused on Oregon issues because she knew that her weakness was being tied with Donald Trump and national Republicans, and it didn't work for various reasons. And Kotek made sure it didn't work uh, because she's not dumb. And Kotek um, is smart and she ran a very effective campaign. She did. Obviously, obviously she killed it. Yep. Yep. And so it's having these kinds of conversations, I think, and keeping people focused. I think part of the issue is, and this is getting kind of down in the weeds, is that like if you talk to Republicans at the local level, like people who are pretty engaged in local party stuff and kind of ideological Republicans, there's just more stuff out there about the national stuff, right? So if you really care about politics and you're, and you're following it, you're probably thinking today about the Colorado Supreme Court decision kicking Trump off the ballot, which is a noteworthy, newsworthy, important thing. But how many people in Oregon that are non-progressives are actually fluent in what's screwed up in Oregon and they see it and they make fun of it. Like people outside of Portland make fun of the way Portland is now, but why, how did we get there? Why did we get there and what do we need to do to change it? I think that that is part of what I'm trying to do. Part of what you're trying to do, not from a partisan standpoint, of course, but just from a, Hey guys, this is what's going on. And I think that that media ecosystem that's kind of built up in Oregon with those of us who are saying, you know, this isn't the right way to do it. Voters are kind of getting it now in a way that they haven't before. And hopefully everyone understands the importance of fixing things here in Oregon and remaining focused on that stuff, because this state is not in good shape right now. I agree with you, Jeff, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but it's true. And, and it's important to point that out. It doesn't do us any good to deny that and to talk about how pretty the mountains are. That's not helpful. Yeah, true. Well, uh, Chris, Christine, Kristen, I've taken enough of your, I'm sorry, I was talking about Christine and now I'm 
mixing up your name. <laughs> totally hers, but, uh, Kristen, I really appreciate all your time this morning and appreciate everything you do with your podcast, et cetera. How can my listeners find the stuff you do online? So Jeff, I am on every platform. I mean, I'm on, my girlfriend's listening to me on some platform called Overcast, which I've never even heard of. So okay. you can yeah. find Rational and Portland Podcasts wherever you get your podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Rational and PDX. And, you know, if you want to just hear thoughts or hear about what episodes are coming up, that's usually what I post about. I generally don't engage in a fair amount of debate on Twitter. So if you're there to do that with me, that's probably a dud, but I appreciate people's thoughts and I am totally open to um, any suggestions for uh, people that they want to have on. Please let me know. And that's how I find most of my guests. So thank you for allowing me to be on, Jeff. I am really appreciative of what you're doing and I'm really appreciative of your media presence and that you were um, kind enough to ask me to talk to you today. Thanks very much, Kristen. We'd love to have you back on sometime. I would do it anytime. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kristen as much as I did. She's definitely passionate about saving her city of Portland. And she, I think, typifies a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of Democrats in Portland who kind of have been shocked by how bad things got so quickly uh, beginning in 2020. And so I hope you'll uh, take a chance to listen to our podcast and subscribe to it. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that at oregonroundup.substack.com. And you'll also get all my cool newsletters uh, and even the not cool ones. I hope you are having or have had, depending on when you hear this, a great holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And I will be talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.